Welcome to the June episode of OMP Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Nisi Otiri, certified prosthetist and resident orthotist at Allied OP in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I'd like to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. With me today is Jim Wynn, CPO, FAAOP, Vice President, Director of Education, and Residency Director for Boston Orthotics and Prosthetics. As a clinician for more than 30 years and residency director for more than 25 years, Jim has a keen sense of what residents need to succeed and has experience refining a residency program to meet those needs. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. I'm excited to have you join me today to discuss how to make the most of your residency. Residents have so much to absorb under stressful circumstances. I look forward to picking your brain. I appreciate the invitation to join you today. So, Jim, you have been a residency director for more than 25 years. What sparked your interest in becoming a residency director, and what has held that interest over so many years? Yeah, uh, thanks, Macy. Good question. So, originally when we started, you know, we had internships at that time prior to the formal residencies, and those were based on accumulative hours over the one-year period. And we were looking, you know, where our company is, we were in a teaching hospital. Our our company was founded on education and training. And so really, it was just a natural thing for us, you know, looking at bringing on new clinicians and training them in the processes that we had. We were also looking to expand and to grow our clinics. And we thought this was a great opportunity to, one, give back to the profession. And number two, find candidates who, you know, match what we were interested in. We could bring them in, do the training and then hopefully have positions for them, staff positions for them in the future. So that really was the genesis of it. It was just kind of a natural evolution from the internship programs that we had begun with. Yeah, I'm curious, what interests you in, in the profession? That's a great question. I guess my interest kind of sparked back in undergrad. I went to the University of Delaware and I studied exercise science. And I had a great mentor during my time there. Her name was Dr. Science. She kind of took me under her wing and show me kind of the research end of the OMP field. So I got to work in her lab, the Delaware Lynn Law Studies Lab, and she kind of encouraged me to pursue OMP school. And I definitely thank her for where I am right now. Wonderful. Yeah. So Jim, how many residents have you mentored over the years? Well, we, we did start, like you said, almost 25 years ago. We typically will bring on anywhere from one to four residents per year. So I would say probably between 30 to 40 residents that we've had. Again, the, the goal of our program is for our residents to become staff clinicians in clinics. So, you know, we see many of our residents who do that and have continued to be with us for a number of years. Yeah, that's great that you guys kind of continue on and the residents feel, you know, comfortable to stay on and have those great experiences kind of start their time in the field. So I think that's really impactful that you guys encourage them. So as the title of the episode implies, we're here today to discuss how to make the most of your residency. As a longtime residency director, what else are you looking for your residents to kind of accomplish during their time with you? I think it, it all begins really with the selection process, and it's that's really a two-way street. And so it's important, I think, for students, potential residents, to do their homework as well. You know, and as we go through the interview process, the residents really should, potential residents should really be interviewing the director and getting a feel for the culture of the program that they're going to be part of. It can be a very long year, two years, depending on the type of program or 18 months that you're in. And so having that match is very important. 
So we look for residents. We know the, the area where they're going to be, understanding the culture and the personalities in the clinics and making sure that that's going to be a match for them is important. You know, individuals that are self-motivated, we are pediatric focused. You know, that's our culture. It is pediatric orthotics and prosthetics. And we know that's a niche within the O&P profession itself. And so we look for candidates who have that type of interest on the front end of it. And so then as we go through the program, you know, we look for residents who are engaging, that have an understanding of themselves a little bit and have a willingness to learn and are flexible with that. And I think those are all important qualities for potential residents. So are most of your residents doing kind of the combined track? Are they kind of doing the two-year program or is it kind of yeah. a mix? No, most of what well, we we do have a mix, so we do offer both. But it's interesting in talking with the residents, many wish to have the two twelve month residencies. Um, they want to have that additional six months time for learning, you know, and not getting out of that residency. So we do offer them in, in not all of our clinics, but some of our clinics do offer the eighteen month program. But we do find that most of the residents really want to have that twelve months experience with both. Uh, you know, we follow the ENCODE guidelines. So the first residency for us is typically in orthotics. So that's solely orthotics. And then the second residency, well, they would have a mix. And usually midway through the second residency in prosthetics, most have earned their CO credential at that point. And so then they are, you know, independent providers still needing mentorship. You know, it's really a team effort in our culture. And I think that's important, too for residents to understand that, you know, the learning doesn't stop once residency is finished, officially finished. We're always going back and forth. And the residents really have an opportunity to offer their expertise and maybe what they've seen in clinic or articles that they've read and really help some of the established clinicians understand maybe some different techniques or, or current practice. So it's really a good relationship to see. And you asked me early on kind of what kind of sparked it and continues the interest. It's that growth in the residents that, that you see because you you talk to the individuals and, and they're interviewing and everyone's a little nervous and you try to get, get to know them a little bit during the interview process. And then when they come on, just to see that growth and see them mature and really gain their confidence and their competence as clinician is, is really important to see as they move through the program. Getting back to your question, so you know that's the reason why many of our residents opt to have the two 12-month residencies. How about yourself? What was your interest? I believe you're in, a, in two 12-month? Yeah, so I did my prosthetics residency first, 12 months, and then I just got certified in the fall for prosthetics. And now I'm just finishing up my orthotic residency. So I definitely, I was leaning towards like the 12-month, uh, the 24-month, I guess, total, but I did have the option to do combined or do the 24. So I definitely agree. Like I wanted that extra kind of six months, just, you know, have that leniency and to learn as much as I can still being a resident, but I'm at a spot now where I feel a little bit more comfortable in my skills. And when I first started two years ago, I definitely can see a lot of growth in myself and just confidence, like to ask those questions that you might be kind of hiding, like that you think are, you know, kind of dumb, but there are no dumb questions. Yeah, definitely. The two year was definitely the best track for me. And just because I didn't come in with like a ton of experience is I know people, you know, shadow a lot prior to going to OMP school or they have more of a lab or technical background. So that wasn't the case for myself. So I really appreciated having that extra time to kind of figure out everything. But there's still more to figure out, you know, as we were saying, good mentors. And I know people have said like it takes maybe like five years to feel generally pretty 
confident in your skills. Do you agree with that or any? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I think, you know, even simple things is, you know, modifying and doing things, you, you just see things a little differently after that five-year mark. And, you know, I think once you're through certification and, and, and you become a CPO, you can just see it in the residence where they know that part of their career, they, they now have become certified. I don't want to say they relax as much, but now they're able to focus on things a little differently. And you do see that continued growth going through. I do want to touch on something because I think it's really important what you said earlier about you know asking the, the dumb question. And it, it's true, there is no dumb question, but it's important for, I think, potential residents and new residents to understand that the expectation is that you're going to ask questions. And we'd rather have someone have the ability to know what you don't know. And I asked our residents as I was preparing for this, you know, what advice would you have? And I thought, you know, one commented that, you know, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I thought that was great advice to understand that maybe you don't know as much and it's okay to raise your hand and ask for assistance and ask those questions. No one's going to think anything less of you. It's, it's much better, I think, on the front end to ask those questions than to be so far in. And obviously, you don't want any harm to patients, but it's important to, to just have a sense of self a little bit and just a self-awareness and knowing when to ask for help and assistance. And I think, you know, those are good questions. And that's part of the culture aspect of it as you're interviewing and as you're getting to know the program. And just get a sense if that's kind of a feeling, if there seems to be that type of relaxed atmosphere where you would feel comfortable asking questions and you would feel comfortable going to someone and speaking with them about, you know, a patient experience, maybe a diagnosis or a presentation that you're not quite familiar with um, and asking them how they would handle that. And that's just all part of getting to know the program that you're going to be you know, involved with for potentially two years or more. Yeah, I think those are all great points. So what qualities do you look for in potential residents? I know you kind of mentioned before kind of like the match process, but is there anything that comes to your mind when you're interviewing potential residents? Yeah, I, I think some humility. You know, we, we go through and ask a lot of team player questions. Our culture is based on, we've always worked within a multidisciplinary team at our various clinics. So you'd like to see that. You'd like to see someone, and, and that comes out through the interview process. We always invite our residents to come in. We were doing that more pre-COVID. Um, we're starting to do that again now. It was a bit of a challenge during that period of time. But I think it's important for the residents to visit the clinic and where they get to interact with their potential mentors. We also have them interact with our existing residents. And so we provide them uh, the email, cell phone. When the residents do come in, we do schedule time for them to go off with the resident, have lunch off-site. Just so the residents can ask, is what they're saying happens in the program really happening? And I think that's important for them to speak with existing residents and get a feel for the culture of the company. And, you know, and we talk to the residents after. We don't ask specific questions, but when that happens, we do go back and ask the clinicians, do, do you think that this person would work well within the clinic and within the culture of our clinic? Because, you know, you want to make sure that it's a win-win for everyone. And early when we started our residency programs, you know, we were basically having the residents select us. And that worked for the most part. But, you know, there were times where it was, like I said, it, it was a long couple of years. So now that we've kind of honed in our ability to make sure, it, it, I keep saying it, but it's true, is a match for the clinics. Some of our clinics are fairly fast-paced, hospital-based clinics. And so that's not for everyone. And so I think 
teasing those things out and talking with them is really important. And it depends on the clinic and the and the rotation that they're going to be going through. Yeah, absolutely. So what is like kind of the first day of residency like at your clinic for the new residents? Do you like a training seminar or can you kind of talk about more about that? Sure. Yeah, we're unique in that we're both clinical care providers as well as manufacturing and distribution. So we have a central lab where we do manufacturing not only for our own clinics, but for outside offices as well. So our first day, typically, we have what we call an onboarding day. It's overwhelming. The resident gets to meet a lot of people. Uh, we always tell them that it's perfectly fine to ask what our name is four or five times until they get it down. And and that kind of talks to the feeling comfortable, the uncomfortable part. Having to ask someone their name for the third time, I can see would be a little uncomfortable. But it's expected, and it's, it's it's something that we know is going to happen, and we, we try to have the residents understand that and relax. The first day, they get to meet uh, many of the offices of our clinic. They'll talk with our CEO, talk with our CFO, talk with people who, who manage our clinics, uh, get familiar with our electronic medical record system, speak with me. We now have re assistant resident director, Kayla Rivas. They'll meet with Kaylin. Kind of just go through the expectations of residency. And NCOP has done a really nice job outlining the expectations and quarterly reviews and things. And you let the residents know that's their responsibility. They're the ones who need to make sure that those quarterly reviews are being done and to stay on top of their tracker. You know, we don't babysit residents. We expect that to happen. We conduct a journal club, um, and that's been really very positive, both for the residents and for our clinicians. And so the residents are responsible for doing a journal club the last Friday of the month. It does a few things. It keeps all of us in the company up to date on some of the current research that's going on. And it also helps the resident meet some of their their NCOP requirements for residency. So that's the first day. And then they'll spend the first few weeks in our central fab area and kind of lets the dust settle a little bit for them. You know, particularly if they're moving into a different city, they're just the logistics of life that have to go on, finding an apartment. Um, changing maybe registration, all the things that go on, getting a hospital badge, all of those things that have to happen when you're starting a new position, if it is a new city. So we find that doing that and having it in the lab situation is helpful. It also gives them an opportunity to meet the technicians who they're going to be working with, spend some time honing their technical skills, uh, learning the work orders, learning the workflow, Learning how when you miss critical information on an order form, how that can just be disruptive to the lab is really important too. And then they begin their clinical rotations that they have. And so uh, we're fortunate that we have clinics within 10, 15 miles of each other. And so our residents will rotate through the various clinics. And as they go through, we meet during that transition period so that we know what skills have been obtained in the previous rotation, and then they're able to enhance those skills. And we use the tracker to find where there's some areas of focus that need to be that uh, maybe, you know, they just didn't get exposure to X, Y, or Z in the first clinic. And so then we know that that's going to be an area of focus um, in the second clinic as they go through. How was your first day? Yeah, I think... For my first day, I just kind of got thrown into things. Um, we don't really have a scheduled out kind of training day. And where I'm at, we do a lot of house calls. So I'm pretty sure I went to the clinic in the morning and then they're like, all right. Like my residency mentor was like, all right, get in your car. We're driving, uh, you know, half hour to, you know, the first patient's house. And then we kind of were on the road, I think, most of the day. So I kind of got thrown into things, which 
I didn't mind because I kind of like a, you know, a fast paced environment where you're kind of all over the place at first. And over time, you know, you kind of get the hang of things. And there's definitely a transition period, I think, for the first like couple months as you're trying to figure out the schedule and supplies that you need. So being on the road, you need certain tools to kind of, you know, make adjustments and things like that. So they're just kind of gathering all the supplies that I need and uh, trying to keep up. But yeah, that was kind of a whirlwind of the first day. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for a word from our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. Spinal Technology is the global leader in the design and fabrication of spinal orthoses for the stabilization, immobilization, and correction of various abnormalities of the spine. For over 30 years, medical experts around the world have depended on our team of American board-certified orthotists, highly skilled technicians, and dedicated customer service experts for better outcomes and the highest quality of patient care. We take pride in sharing our knowledge through comprehensive training and activities. Visit SpinalTech.com resources for all of our Scoliosis Awareness Month resources. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the program has evolved. And so as we, you know, go through every year, we ask the residents, okay, how do we make it better? And what we found is we initially started, the residents are spending six to eight weeks in the lab on the front end. That now is down to a week to two weeks on the front end. And then we build in residents going back to the lab after they've been out in the clinic for 10 to 14 weeks. The feedback on that has been that it's a little bit, they, they find the time in the lab after being in the clinic a little more beneficial because they understand the whole process a little bit better. And we've always had it open where residents can spend as much time in the lab as they wish with finding that they really want to spend more of their time in the clinic and really learning from the technicians in the clinic on the clinical adjustments that need to be made. And one of our residents was telling us that's really what he found to be most beneficial was scheduling out time. And he would schedule out several one-hour blocks during the week just to spend time with the technicians in the clinic and just honing those technical skills, you know, doing minor adjustments and tweaks to, to orthoses that had been, um, you know, someone had grown out and the parents wanted us to keep the orthosis in the office. So we use those as kind of practice devices. And so learning, you know, just pad dimensions and grinding and buff, all the simple things that we do, not simple, but things that we do each day that you really need to gain your skills on. And he found that to be most beneficial in learning some of the tips and tricks from the technical staff was really beneficial for him. Yeah, I think that's amazing that they had an opportunity to be in the lab and learn from all those technicians because they have so much knowledge from their time and all their years of experience. Because I know at one point I was like taking old test sockets and practicing grinding skills like in between patients because I feel like it took me a little bit to kind of get my skills to where I felt comfortable in because you have to do adjustments so quickly sometimes. So you can't spend all the time in the world trying to make that edge perfect. Those skills take a lot of time to build. Yeah, it, it's really important. I was recently at a conference and an orthopedic surgeon was giving the keynote address and she mentioned now, you know, she plays a, an instrument and as does her son. And she said, you know, you spend a lot more time practicing than you do actually playing. And I, it got me thinking and it just kind of resonated that, yeah, we really need to spend some time honing our skill set and, you know, working out on the schedule and finding time to do that is important. You know, you don't want to learn those skills on the fly. That's not fair to the patient. So it, it's important to build that in. And I think residency is a great time to do that and to make that part of the schedule. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Like now's your time to kind of make those mistakes and, and learn from them. 
Because I think the the hardest part is like, you know, you're going to make mistakes and be aware that that's coming. And I know in school, we're always like, all right, you have to learn from those errors that you make. And now you know for next time what not to do. So it's all data points that you're just kind of gaining. Yeah. And, that's, and, and you need to have that self-discipline too. And some of that, you know, comes with confidence. So it's just part of the maturity. And that's what you, you know, you see when the residents come in. But you know, if you take a bad cast of a patient, take another cast. It's so much better to do that. And the parents and the patients appreciate it too. Just say, you know what, this one isn't going to get it done or whatever you want to say, and just take another cast. I've never had, and I've done a number of retake casts, and I've never had pushback from, from a family. And now that we're utilizing a lot of scanning technology, it's literally seconds to, to take a second scan. So you know, scanning is just like casting. If you, if you take a poor scan and that happens, be disciplined enough to make sure that you have a quality scan or a quality cast or quality measurements, whatever you're doing. And so it's important to have that discipline too. And you know, the remake isn't just on the buffing and the grinding, but it's on the front end of it as well with making sure that you're getting the best starting point that you can for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. So Jim, you kind of just mentioned like casting to scanning. So what other ways have you kind of evolved and, you know, enhanced or changed the program as time has gone by? Yeah, good question. Scanning really has been the, the big game changer. So we were early adapters of the red light laser scanners for our cranial program. And now we're using as, as many our probably structured sensor, the iPad. There's now software available for the iPhones as well. So scanning has probably taken over. So any of our cranial patients, all of our scoliosis patients, all of our neuromuscular scoliosis patients and the really involved kiddos that we see are all scanned. So we're even working now on direct scanning for AFOs as well. You know, casting's changed over time. We're not using the plaster anymore. Fiberglass has, has taken over, which is a quicker, cleaner, neater, I think a better quality cast as well. And so that's been interesting to see and it's different because the residents coming in know no different. So their normal is scanning and fiberglass, where some of us have been doing it the number of years I've been doing it. There really was a transition there where, and I'll mention different plaster techniques to residents, and I kind of get you know a little side eye and have to go back and say, no, this is what we used to do. Particularly with cranial, we used to cast all of our cranial kiddos for their cranial remolding orthoses. And every once in a while, maybe you have a patient that will do that now, but you know, the residents and, and some of our, our younger clinicians who were former residents really can't even imagine having to do that. All they know is, is scanning techniques. And the techniques have evolved over time too. You know, as you get comfortable with the software and, and you learn, getting feedback from our technicians and so forth. You know, those techniques have been improved over time. Yeah, that's great that you guys have really kind of, you know, involved the new technology and you're willing to train everybody on it too and get them up to speed. Another question too, like for current residents who are out there listening, who are unable to get exposure to like certain patient populations or diagnoses or even different technology that's available at their primary clinic site, are there any resources or suggestions that you might have for them? Yeah, good question. You know, talk with their mentors and talk with the resident directors. When you become an accredited facility, um, NCOPE does ask you for the scope of practice. And, you know, for us, being pediatric, our residents have the potential of not seeing a large enough adult population, particularly on the prosthetic side of things. And so we have affiliate relationships with other clinics in the area. 
And most clinics are very open to that. And so we'll bring their residents in and have them get a pediatric rotation if they don't happen to see enough pediatric patients, you know, in the affiliate office. And then our residents then will spend some time at these clinics, either doing prosthetics or some orthotics. And it's scheduled out, you know, and, and you have to be creative with the schedule and, and both sides being able to work with each other. But building those relationships is important. And it's, you know, it's all about trying to ensure that the resident has a good learning experience and that they, at the end of residency, have as well-rounded an experience as possible. That's how, you know, you as a, as a resident, I'll ask you in a moment if there's an area of focus that you're looking at as, as you've gone through residency. You know, I think you come into residency more or less as a generalist. And as you begin to understand a little bit and you just kind of find that maybe there's a certain interest, be it lower limb, be it cranial, brachial a lot of scoliosis, or maybe neuromuscular scoliosis, you may find that there are different populations that you might be particularly good at or you have an interest in. And all of a sudden you start to see that your schedule, you're starting to see more and more of those patients. Um, it's just kind of a natural evolution. So. And I think the only way you can do that is if you've had a broad experience kind of on the front end, and then you're able to kind of tease out what's of really interest of you within OMP. So uh, my follow-up question to you would be, have, have you found that? Have you found certain subsets that you're interested in and in, in thinking of focusing on? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I definitely agree how you kind of go into residency as a generalist, and you're trying to learn as much as you can. And see as many patients as you can, different populations and diagnoses. I definitely have found myself kind of gravitating towards upper limb prosthetics. I think that's super interesting to me, partial hands specifically. And I've done, are working on a couple cases for below elbow. And I was just really thankful that, you know, I'm in a position where my, you know, mentorship kind of supports my interests. And, you know, I voice my interest in upper limb prosthetics and they're like, okay, like that sounds great. Let's get you some patience and can kind of really hone in on those skills because it definitely, it's, it's been challenging, but it's a good challenge for sure. Um, and I've been really enjoying it so far. Yeah. And that's so important to support that interest and two things, right? Number one, that you're comfortable expressing that, that you have a particular interest. And number two, that you knew that you, you were hoping that you'd get the support and you're getting the support. And that's what it's all about. So I think that's great that you had that experience. Yeah, it's definitely been very beneficial to have the support backing me. But I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but what advice would you give to someone about to start their residency? I don't think you can ever start too early to begin the process of looking. OP ResCast now, I think, is a great platform to go in and to just get an overview and a feel for, for the, the various types of programs that are available. I would limit yourself geographically. You know, it depends on everyone's personal situation and so forth. But don't feel limited. Look at the type of program. Some are, are one-year programs. Some, like our program, is built for their potential to be a staff position after and career path and career growth after that. You know, many of our residents now, I mentioned Caitlin is now our assistant resident director. We have other former residents who are now managing an office or they're managing a region that we have. So, you know, look to see what type of growth path you may have going forward. And spend time, you know, either visiting the clinic or even having some conversation with the clinic. We we strongly encourage any residents that we talk with to reach out and to talk with our existing residents and have a conversation with them, get to know them a little bit and, and to find out kind of what the culture is and what's going through on it. 
and really think about it. And like I said at the, at the outset, you know, be interviewing the, the resident program as much as the program is interviewing them. And talk with other students, talk with their teachers. You know, it's a small profession, and many of their instructors either know of or, or knows an individual who may be working at various clinics. And so use those contacts and, and to reach out and, and to just really do your homework, I think, would be best. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with all of those points. Like, it's important to kind of meet everybody and determine that match process that you had spoken about earlier. I know I had the opportunity to kind of spend a couple of days in, in my clinic to see how everything worked. And, you know, I'm really thankful to have that opportunity ahead of time. Yeah, and I think being flexible, too. You know, when I talk to a lot of the students, potential residents, and I ask, you know, how do they get interested in O&P? Many of them found orthotics through prosthetics and really didn't even know about orthotics too much. So be open to that. Be flexible and, you know, willingness to learn. And, you know, I think some feel like, no, I want to do just, just this particular thing. But you really want to be open because you don't know, like yourself, you mentioned upper extremity prosthetics. I don't know if that was a focus, if that kind of spark started in school, or is that something that happened throughout residency? You know, how did that process evolve? And you just don't want to limit yourself. So flexibility and being open to the possibilities, I think is important. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's good to get into like a network of mentors too. You know, having the opportunity to pick a bunch of people's brains, like, hey, how would you approach this problem or make this modification? Because everyone has a different perspective based on their background. So I think that's so valuable to have as well. That's been one of the keys that, that our residents keep coming back to as far as something that they want, that they think should be retained. So, you know, rotating through various clinics, still within the same process, within the same standardized processes, but, you know, patient approach and just learning from various clinicians. Then you pick a little bit from each one as you start to develop your own style of, of patient interaction is important. So, yeah, I would agree. Having that ability to pick the brain of a lot of different clinicians that are at various stages of their career, I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for joining us, Jim. Well, thank you, Macy. I enjoyed talking with you and best of luck throughout the rest of your residency. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of OMP Rising. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned OMP professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting on the right foot when it comes to a career in OMP. Again, we'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Spinal Technology. For more information, visit them online at spinaltech.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals. The award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and OMP Clinical Insiders with Academy Scientific Society's Chair, Seth O'Brien, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at omp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.